Okay, welcome to Startup Vietnam, Episode 9, House of Eris. House of Eris is an ethical online fashion brand featuring colorful and unique pieces designed by Eris Van Kalster. It was created to inspire dreamers whilst highlighting the process, people, and beauty behind slow fashion. Today we'll talk to Eris Van Kalster and her business partner Kane Nugent about House of Eris, their motivations for starting the company, and their experiences operating in Vietnam so far. We'll also get insight into the steady growth House of Eris has achieved over the past four years and their current goal to acquire Series A funding to take their business to the next level. And you can learn more about House of Eris by visiting www.houseofaris.com. Startup Vietnam is brought to you by Chikindo. Chikindo is a leading market entry company in Southeast Asia, providing a wide range of services for companies entering the markets of eight different countries in Asia. If you'd like to learn more about Chikindo, you can visit www.chikindo.vn. That's C-E-K-I-N-D-O dot V-N. I'm here with Kane and Eris from House of Eris. Guys, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So Eris, uh, can you tell the audience a little bit about House of Eris and your business? Well, my product essentially uh, is for the unapologetic extroverted consumer. Uh, or not necessarily extroverted because we get a lot of people that are like shy or, you know, they, they don't really... Uh, know how to express themselves through fashion and then they come to us and they're like well I'm a little bit shy but can you make this for me you know I kind of want to shine on my special day and stuff like that so I like my tagline is fashion for dreamers I think a lot of my customers they they, they love to express themselves or they want to try something different they're also more conscious of the footprint that uh, fashion leaves right now yeah we do cater to maybe a, a higher end customers but Ideally, I would love to have a more affordable side of my brand and then a more high-end side of the brand. So I want to cater to both both markets um, because I it's both sexy, it's both playful. So we cover a lot of the trends that are going on, but I, I um, approach it in my own way. So I take, you know, like a cute, sexy dress, but I make it in my own style uh, and, and in prints. And, and so a lot of the feedback that I get from social media is that it is unique. And it is uh, recognizable, yet it, it stands on its own. Like whenever you see a House of Paris piece, it's very much a House of Paris piece. So mm-hmm. Also people who are, are belong in uh, certain different kinds of subcultures. Like a queer community. Uh, I have a huge following for the queer community. Uh, also because I grew up in the queer community in Belgium. Cool. Kane, so can you maybe talk about your track record so far in terms of your, your investments you've received, like your initial seed money and then your year-on-year growth? Can you give us a, an overview of that? Yeah, sure. Originally, we were we borrowed £10,000 from my family, and that was to set the company up legally within Vietnam. Before that point, we were we started off small, just selling out of our one-room uh, one apartment here in Vietnam. And then we saw such a surge in sales that we were like, okay, now now it's time to get the business fully legal. And that's when we came to Sikindo and we were like, okay, that was our original seed money was to set up the company legally. And then the only other time that we have had money borrowed to us was last month for my family, uh, an additional £10,000. And that was because we made over $15,000 in 10 days. And so PayPal put a block. So we had a cash flow issue. So we couldn't get to our funds. We had to wait 21 days. However, a lot of the orders from that month were made to order. So a lot of the people who ordered custom pieces or they wanted their own sizing, we didn't have the product 
ready to ship straight out. So those orders that were made to order, we had to then borrow money to pay the tailor to get these items made until our funds were released from PayPal. But other than uh, money borrowed from family, we have no outstanding loans from any bank or, or any other source. So when we originally started to now, we've seen uh, our total sales reach $235,000 since 2018. However, it's this last year, which has been our biggest growth, which is the, the company has grown 82% since March last year. And our total sales on this one year alone has been $147,674 up until yeah March. Mm -hmm. So even though we started off and um, we've made a total of $235,000, it's been this last year and We've just seen a continuous growth since when we first started. And then the last year, the last two years, it's just been every year, we've just been getting bigger and bigger. Yeah, our, our total orders mm -hmm. since last year have also up 49%. We've had 890 orders since this time last year. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the, the, the company as a whole, I think that overall we sold over 1,500 orders. However, this, this year has been our, our highest with 890. So our, our orders over time are getting more. The average order value is also going up as well. Oh, so yeah, previously, yeah, people previously were the average order value was about 150, whereas now the average order value is up 25%. So the average order value now is around $170. So people are spending more, and which is kind of funny because now we have more items on sale. So we're actually our prices are cheaper now than they were before, but people are spending more money. Yeah, so if they were cheaper the, again, so if they were... Yeah going down again because we have our own you know more workforces then we could actually provide even more affordable prices and therefore we could probably grow even more in the coming years all right so let's say that you did get investment today how would that accelerate your business i know you guys already have a strong track record you have you know growing demand talk about where you could go from here if you got the funding you're looking for first and foremost uh invest in getting more tailors um, setting up like kind of like our own atelier because right now we work with mostly independent tailors so we would set up more of a, a workspace for house virus uh, we would invest in marketing uh, and have more time to work on the marketing side of it which is mostly social media tiktok facebook instagram where we already have a following but if we want to have more time for those we could definitely make uh, a lot of content go viral and through there grow our um, orders and we would invest in uh, getting more uh, orders out and shipping and just smoothing out production and having more helping hands to cover other aspects of the business that we are currently doing ourselves. And Eris, you've kind of been lauded for your very unique uh, designs. Can you talk about maybe your inspiration for your, your certain style? with your brand? Uh, well, I, I'm originally from Dominican Republic and um, I grew up in Belgium, in Antwerp, which is a big fashion city. Um, a lot of Japanese students, they, they would actually study fashion in Antwerp. It's one of the best uh, fashion universities in the world. And um, I was lucky enough to keep my Latin roots, my Dominican roots. Uh, in, in my home, we always kept like Latin music and, you know, the colorful kind of Latin vibes, um, but uh, because I grew up in Belgium since I was six, I still have like this split cultural influences, which is like the Belgian fashion and the artistic background. Um, and I also studied art. Um, I worked at an um, art gallery for uh, a couple of years while I was studying art and stuff. So a lot of my background comes from 
art and um, my father he was a, a tailor um, his whole life until he passed away and that since I was little because I, I didn't get to see my father like um, until I was 13 I went back to Dominican Republic and I got to see him again and um, he was just the most awesome person and he took me around and I got to be at his atelier again and I always had this idea in my mind that maybe someday I could become a designer and I would bring him in and then we would have this father-daughter business. But um, unfortunately, he passed away um, before I could get to becoming a designer. So yeah, I take a lot of influences from him being a tailor, from my Latin roots and from growing up in Belgium and then um, living in Asia. You know, I lived in three years in China. I lived uh, three years in Thailand and then I've been living here for a while as well. So it's kind of like this big mashup of different cultures and different influences. And yeah, I try to put that in my work and somehow it relates to all these different people, you know, like all our customers are from everywhere in the world. It's not like a specific demographic that uh, identifies with my work. So I just try to yeah put in myself and the things that I like, what I wear, how I would go to an event and people seem to um, identify with it. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's interesting because I know you guys uh, really try to work closely with the tailors here in, in Vietnam. Uh, that's, that's one of your kind of ethical standards. Your, um, it's very important for you to give them a fair, fair wage and make sure that, that they're happy with your relationship. Why is that such a, a, a priority for you? Well, first and foremost, because that's the first memory I have is from like the first happy memories is from being at my, ta uh, my father's tailor, at my father's atelier. And uh, I know how little people can get paid for that kind of work. And in like, when I went back, uh, when I was a teenager and I finally went back to visit my father, he was, he had this uh, shop, tailor shop, but then he was still sleeping on a mattress. And like, I stayed over and, and you know, there were rats um, running around, you know, and I had a lot of um, three a half siblings and it's such a shock you know because once you grow up in Belgium you kind of forget where you come from and then you go back to Dominican Republic and it's like I love what he does you know like his work was immaculate he used to make these designer suits you know the quality is amazing but he's still living in basically a shack because of that like I don't want to um, contribute to that system where people wear all these designer clothing and they don't realize that the people that are making it they can't get out of the poverty so for me, it's very important to be connected to the people that make our clothing and, and just purely on a human level, understand like, hey, this money is not just to put into my pockets. This is also to make sure that your kids can have a better future. So, so Kane, I know right now you're having some challenges in terms of uh, copyright and kind of having your designs uh, stolen. Uh, can you maybe talk about that issue and how you're confronting that? Yeah, this has actually happened a few times now. Um, a few of the pieces that we, the artists have designed over the last two years that have gone viral have then been taken, uh, copied by the uh, huge businesses in America, one of which being Dolls Kill. I think they have, I think, over 10 million followers on Instagram and they copied one of our pieces. They actually reached out asking one to work with us. And then once we found out they were basically making copies of our work when we were like, well, no, we won't, we don't want to work with someone who is copying our designs and selling them at a way cheaper price than us. And then also recently, uh, last week, we had an instance with uh, Shane, a huge company based in the States, uh, and they have 22.2 .2 million followers. 
and they basically made a carbon copy of of one of our pieces released a year ago and it was identical every single aspect the colors the trim everything was exactly the same we addressed it and we said hey like this is a carbon copy of our piece what do you think you're doing and they were like okay we're launching an investigation they took it off their website but then they blocked us so it was kind of like okay we're going to steal your designs make as much profit as we can before we get caught and then we're just going to like brush it under the under the rug so it is it is an issue but I feel like it would be less of an issue if we had a consistency with posting and a consistency with being able to put our content out there and address issues like this but because we have a million and one jobs to do it's it's hard to channel your energy into being like okay I want to I want to post uh every day and I want to address this issue but I also want to move forward whereas because we're focusing on so many different jobs at the same time it's kind of hard to uh, uh, call out these large companies that are stealing from us mm-hmm. whilst continuously moving forward as well mm-hmm. because at the same time this is still great content for us because they're stealing from us but at the same time we have a, such a large following that means hey we must be doing something right if someone who has 22.2 million followers is stealing designs from us uh, acknowledged that they stole designs from us and then took it off the website it's like okay we're definitely on the radar of the the, the huge huge companies that are out there so mm-hmm. yeah it, it, it's a, it was a weird compliment but at the same time it is frustrating because we're doing well, they say familiar. the biggest compliment is copying right yeah, like, yeah. the biggest mm-hmm. compliment is or like but but it also shows that we're doing something right because all these giants wouldn't go for to like such a small brand to copy their designs if they, they didn't know that there's a huge market out there that will buy those designs Mm-hmm. So if anything, I'm like, okay, so that means that clearly my designs are working and we know from numbers that they work. It's just that ha- if, if we can bring down our prices a little bit and we can, you know, be competitive in this market, which is a huge market, um, then, hey, we're in, you know, like we can, we can go toe to toe with these guys. But right now we're just too small. That's kind of one of our main problems is because we're so small and it's mm-hmm. just the two of us. The average consumer spends about $170 at our shop. And since uh, we started, we're up 82% with sales. So clearly there's a market for us. But I feel like if we were to get investors on board, we would be able to lower the, the, the production costs even more because we would have more tailors that we could employ. You know, production would go a little bit quicker. I don't think that because we hire more tailors that our quality has to go down or that we have to pay them peanuts. We can still stay sustainable and lower our costs. Um, we also have a lot of friends that are in this business in Vietnam and they have small tailor shops. So they'll employ multiple tailors and they make a killing. But it's just for us right now, which just a few of us, it's just not sustainable to have these type of overheads and be profitable and keep the business ethical like we want to. So that's part of why we want to bring in more money so we can hire more tailors and maybe uh, reduce the prices um, so that it is more affordable for the consumers and still sustainable for the type of business that we want to create. Mm-hmm. It's okay. also like whenever we uh, post or do anything on Instagram, we have usually a huge surge of orders. But because it's just the two of us, every time we post or do anything online, we'll have the orders come in and then we have to spend the next week or two weeks packing those orders and getting those orders shipped out. Whereas if we had more people on board, once we post, we can continue to work on the 
creative aspect of it and have other people take over uh, the more mundane job, the more manual work. So we don't have to, because right now we're doing every aspect of the business from, yeah. from, from shipping, from buying buttons, from uh, fabric, from everything. So, yeah. If we can hire people to solve the, the, the numbers, you know, crack down the numbers and figure out where to save money, where to, you know, how to distribute these things easier, then that would make it so that we can move forward a lot smoother, a lot faster. Having been here in Vietnam and establishing your business, being a foreigner, what is maybe some some advice or suggestions you would give for foreigners who are considering starting a business here? I think if as a foreigner working in Asia, um, embrace the culture, get to know the people that you're working with, uh, the different aspects that uh, of doing business, like uh, approaching people in Europe will be completely different than approaching vendors here. And a big part of why we were able to build a good foundation for Harvaris is that we've been able to learn how to create uh, relationships with the vendors and the tailors. And it's a whole different approach here than let's say in Thailand even, because we initially tried to, to work with tailors in Thailand and it's a completely different cultural you know, way of, of approaching the relationship. So, Get to learn the get to learn the culture, get to learn yourself, and I think that's that's already a good foundation to uh, approach doing business here. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm just trying to think of yeah, like um, also yeah, that like like just elaborating on what you said, the the small nuances within starting a business in Vietnam, such as if you start getting offered food, uh, you start someone's guard starts to come down a little bit it's not such a crazy gap between someone you don't know towards someone who's almost like your auntie someone you see and it's like oh okay it's still business but it's a relationship still there's very few vendors we work with who we don't well there's no vendors that we work with who we don't like it, it takes it takes uh, originally it was, originally we butted heads with a few of them because for different reasons and then over time having relationships with these people because it's just a cultural thing. It's just after a while, you start noticing the nuances of it. It's a very, what would the word be? Kind and rude at the same time. Does that make sense? I think here, people. initially, people are guarded. So initially, when we, we used to go, because uh, uh, we used to just drive on the motorbike and go from shop to shop and like, how many meters for this fabric? And, you know, we approached it very much like foreigners buying fabric. So we would get ripped off all the time. We'd pay like twice the amount of money that we pay now for fabrics. Uh, because we would approach them as in like foreigners buying fabric whereas now we approach them and we're a little bit more cheeky we're a little bit more like hey like oh come on give me a good price and also because we've taken the time to learn uh basic vietnamese so now we approach them with their own language so they're more open to us so it's not oh yeah this foreigner is coming here and just kind of like you know coming throwing some money here it's like no 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 we're coming at you from the same uh point from your point of view so we're approaching you with your language, your culture. So people are instantly more open to you when you approach them, you know, initiating their language. They're like, oh my God, you speak Vietnamese. And then they, they get happy. And then, you know, you 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 already get through that that awkwardness. And yeah, there's less anxiety for them as well. Cause they're like, oh, cool. I can, I can, you know, speak. I don't have yeah. to worry about learning English. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And before they used to be like, go away. I, don't, I can't be asked. Like, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't speak English. Go away. And now it's like, oh, you speak a little bit Vietnamese and they're so happy. And then because of that, like, yeah, we've, we have so many people that uh, during New Year, they'll give us gifts. So they have things, you know, they'll give us extra fabric or they'll be uh, keeping stuff for us. 
because now we've like we've taught them that hey we're willing to to embrace your culture we, we're the foreigners here but this is your culture and we respect your culture first and because of that they're more open and you're able to build on that relationship i've been speaking with kane and eris from house of eris guys thank you for joining us thank you so much for having us yeah, and thank you for this opportunity and if you're an investor and you'd like to reach out to House of Eris about their Series A funding goals, you can reach them at info.houseofaris at gmail.com. That's info, I-N-F-O, dot houseofaris, H-O-U-S-E-O-F-A-R-I-S, at gmail.com. Startup Vietnam is brought to you by Chikindo. Chikindo is Asia's leading market entry company, providing a wide range of services to eight different countries in Asia. If you'd like to find out more about Chikindo, you can visit www.chikindo.vn. That's C-E-K-I-N-D-O dot V-N. Thanks for listening, everybody, and see you next time.